Today's episode is going to be a Comrade Mommy episode, Um, but before I get to that, I just want to remind everyone, please check us out on Patreon, that's patreon.com slash leftpoc, where you can donate a dollar or more per month uh, to support the podcast. Of course, all of our content is always free, as well as other goodies on our Patreon page. So again, if you'd like to donate and help us out to keep things afloat, um, of course, we pay everyone who an interview with us as well as donating to a charity or organization of their choice. Uh, we have web and data storage things that we have to pay for and of course I pay Richard uh, as well, my co-host. So again, um, keeping that in mind, if you'd like to donate to our cause, feel free to go to patreon.com slash leftpoc and of course you can always follow us on social media by simply searching for leftpoc. Um, so yeah, I wanted to... I don't even know where to begin. So right now it's kind of early for me, I guess. It's 12.09 um, overnight. And, you know, I'm I'm beginning my, I guess what would be my second or third shift of the day. Um, I like to start it with a podcast episode. <laughs> I don't know. I just, some of these are just me venting because I don't really know the proper outlet to vent to um, about these things. There's not really like a union for moms or something, although there probably should be, um, like parents union, but specifically for moms. And and I guess I should clarify when I say moms, you know, I'm talking about, um, in this case, specifically, um, you know, women who are in cisgender heterosexual marriages that in which they are the, you know, the mom and, there's really not a, a sort of socially um, normative breakdown of gender roles that would be equitable, right? So, like, I'm I'm sure that within um, lesbian and non-gender conforming, non-binary um, relationships, that there are slightly I mean, I know this for a fact, but there, there are slightly different um, approaches to um, taking on childcare because, and like just domestic duties and things like that, because it's not just considered the default for like the woman to do it. Because if you're in a relationship where both people are women or both people or one person doesn't identify as a woman or et cetera, there are um, different understandings of who does what and, and when. Whereas in, um, cisgendered, you know, like male, female relationships, that is, um, that, that sort of discussion is hard to come by sometimes. (laughs) It's just sort of the default that the woman does pretty much everything, um, or a big chunk of the domestic and childcare related work. Um, and you know, this is in relationships where the husband is feminist or 
where the husband stays at home to help with child rearing and things like that. There's, there's still a degree of extra burden often, like nine times out of 10, maybe more than that, 9.999 times out of 10 placed on the mother um, as opposed to the father. It's just kind of the, the nature of the relationship. And this is why, you know, I, I realized that like, I guess in adulthood, why so many women, if you look at like older feminist texts and things like that, they really had their feminist awakening, not so much when they were single, although certainly there, but it was when they became mothers, when they got married and became mothers, when it really hit, you know, it's sort of like, you don't understand, you don't always understand the full burden of capitalism or of cap, like sort of the, the capitalist overreach and things like that until you start working right? You understand it before you start working, but you really get it when you start working and you have to deal with insurance companies and you have to deal with, you know, not being paid properly for your labor and things like that. You, you really start to understand the problems with capitalism, right? The problem of capitalism in those moments. And I think in some ways, you know, being married and having a child and then add to that, like a pandemic and all these other issues, it just really, cements like (laughs) the way patriarchy operates in this society and the way that gender inequality operates in this society like in like a triple quadruple quintuple sort of way (laughs) it just it's compounded um and so I think for me you know, I mean, I guess it could be worse. There are some people who are in much more dire situations, but I think for me, this, this pandemic has also kind of brought all of that stuff to the surface in a way that's really scary. Um, and that feels almost, um, I mean, the, the only word for it is oppressive, right? It's ultimately a choice, of course, to get married and have a child, but it's not necessarily a choice that our society um, pretty much dictates that women need to do X, Y, Z in a household. It's just, it, or it doesn't get done, right? Um, that That's a problem. And that, that includes not just the physical labor, but a ton of mental labor, silent, invisible labor um, that has to get done around the clock and that there's no real accounting for, um, that we're not paid for, that we're not compensated for in any way, that's not even recognized um, yeah, I'm, it's like, I feel like I'm, I'm providing, you know, dispatches from like the, the underclass of moms or something. I don't know. It's, it's just, yeah, I don't really have words for it, but I think what's most frustrating of all is not just the kind of interpersonal aspects of this stress and burden, but most importantly, the kind of top-down failure to recognize what's happening um, and and reluctance to even address in any semblance of a way, right? Like not even a tiny, 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 tiny acknowledgement of what is happening and how this current situation, at least if you care about the health and well-being of your family and you're doing your best to protect them, is resulting in a kind of soul and dream crushing um, weight on many, 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 many women. There have been journalists who have written about it, of course, as I always say, there's an article a week about 
moms in a pandemic and, and trying to work as moms in a pandemic and even trying to, you know, if you're trying to be a housewife, in a pandemic, there's just so many layers to motherhood in a pandemic that are incredibly heavy. Um, and that I think, and I'm thankful that some journalists are acknowledging. Um, but our government is not acknowledging them. Our government has pretty much left mothers out to dry in ways that they've almost never done before. I mean, it's almost an incomparable um, situation. And I think that, you know, I, I keep saying, if this ever ends, I, I don't know how I'm going to feel. I don't know how I'm going to be able to process that feeling of relief, right? Um, because right now I'm, I'm at a breaking point. I mean, I'm beyond a breaking point. Right? I am broken. Let me just put it that way. I am broken. Um, I'm incredibly tired all the time. Exhausted is not the word. Like it's beyond exhausted. Right? Exhaustion doesn't properly encapsulate what's going on with me and many, many other moms. Right. Um, and I don't even, as I said, if, if you're a mom and you're listening to this, especially if you're a mom who doesn't rely on other women to do this work. Like if you don't have a nanny, if you don't have a maid, if you're working, um, and you're parenting at the same time, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, you know, and the, the funny thing is that, um, you know, I, I put our daughter in school because first and foremost, I wanted her to have socialization, right? She's an only child. I wanted her to have socialization despite this, this pandemic raging on. Um, and I knew that it was going to be a relatively safe environment compared to um, certain other spaces that I could have put her in. Um, you know, they're really good about pro COVID protocols and things like that. They're very, they're hypervigilant about cleanliness and air purity and all of that stuff, right? Like they're doing all of the things that they need to do which I greatly appreciate and like value in her school. Um, and was one of the main reasons why I chose them. But what I will say is that sometimes, if not often, especially depending on your work situation, you know, following those protocols can add to the layer of stress on the other end, right? Because <laughs> if there are parents who aren't following product protocols at home, if there are parents who are engaging in, somewhat reckless behavior and by reckless behavior nowadays I could I literally could mean wearing a cloth mask <clears throat> instead of a high-grade mask or um you know having family members over or going out to eat like things that sort of much like how regular health issues beforehand that weren't severe are now things that make you immunocompromised and and susceptible to severe COVID uh similar to that as a parallel you know regular activities that you would do as a family are now um, putting you and your child at risk, rather considerable risk. And subsequently, or I guess the spinoff of that as a result is that you're putting other children and their families at risk as well, because this is all, you know, it's like a community issue, right? Which people in this country still don't seem to freaking understand to a degree that it makes me enraged. Um, and I think, um, you know, you can't control those things. <clears throat> As a parent, I can only do what I can do with my family. I can't control what other people do with their families. Um, and as a result, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, 
our children are all exposed to the virus. And so the school does what it can to, to fix things and regulate things and follow protocols. But at the same time, they can't control other people and their, their families. And, um, Although, you know, we've, we've had in the past ways to control families, right? Like we demand vaccine records. Um, we require, um, you know, doctor visits, doctor visit notes sometimes when they come back from an illness. Um, we require sometimes uniforms. We require certain types of lunch boxes and certain types of knapsacks and certain, you know, we do actually require things all the time of families, but for whatever reason, when it comes to the pandemic, we can't, it's, it's like a, uh, faux pas to put your foot down and demand certain behaviors, um, to keep everybody safe. It's, it's really infuriating. Um, but I say all of this to say that in their, in the school's following of protocols, which I appreciate, it also ironically can place another burden on parents in the sense that, you know, they have to shut down if there's a COVID exposure at the school, if a child tests positive or a teacher tests positive or any of the staff members test positive for COVID, they close the school down um, for a week, a week and a half. And then sometimes, if not, I mean, technically often, always, that notification is sudden, right? You get not even a day's notice because obviously once it's found out, everyone is sent home and the school is shut down. Um and, you know, this has happened to me, like when I'm, when I was en route to, to New York to teach, for example, um, it's happened the day before I was, uh, planning to do so many things to apply for jobs, to write, to do a variety of things at home that are also work, right? Um, it's my academic work, which is technically my job. Um, and when that happens, I have to be I am the parent that is the one who takes care of our child during the day because my husband's job is, while he works from home, very, very, very intense and he is in meetings all day long and, you know, doesn't really have the opportunity to take care of our daughter. At the same time, um, you know, I, I am in a constant state of frustration, anger, um, uh, you know, like feeling overwhelmed and crushed. I mean, crush is the only word I can think of that properly encapsulates what's going on, but I, I can't get any of my work done because after working with a toddler and anyone with a toddler will tell you it is incredibly exhausting and you work with your toddler throughout the day. You know, she's, she's, she requires constant, um, interaction and support and she's getting in that stage where she's starting to have really really big emotions um and some of those experiences require a lot of support for her on my end um you know and in, in, in regular speak we say tantrums right but I engage in gentle parenting and I recognize that what she's going through is like a process, a process of processing, right? It's, it's her trying to grapple with the changes that are happening or not, not only with her, her physical environment, but her body and her mind. And, you know, I recognize that, that this is not her showing out. This is her trying to wrap her head around just change, um, and growing up. Right. 
So I, I support her in that. But that requires a lot of labor. <laughs> it's a lot of work. And, um, you know, I'm at the end of the day when five o'clock, five thirty, six rolls around, all I can do is sleep at that point, right? I'm so tired that I can't do anything else. And during the day, with the exception of when she's napping, it's hard to do anything else. I try to kind of clean and do stuff, incorporate her in that because we do Montessori at home. But at the end of the day, as a toddler, she's going to be, of course, much slower, much less efficient, requires more oversight and supervision and things like that to do household tasks. So she, I'm not going to expect my my almost two-year-old to go do laundry by herself. You know, like that's, it's, that's not going to happen, right? She can help hand me things to put in the machine. But at the end of the day, that's, that's not, you know, the type of labor that I'm expected to do uh, within a reasonable amount of time. Um, and so, and, you know, I, I don't really sleep. I, I take a nap uh, in between. So like after I work with my daughter, I take a nap and then I wake up and I do more work. I do housework then. I put away dishes and um, load the dishwasher and, uh, you know, wash clothes. Although technically I'm washing clothes all day long. Um, <clears throat> I do my academic work barely because I don't have the mental um, acuity at that point. I don't have any sort of alertness or degree of intelligence because <laughs> I'm exhausted, right? It's impossible to, to write. I mean, I, I don't know how else to put it. It's impossible for me to write under these circumstances. Um, and, you know... I just try to keep going, but I think that there is a complete lack of support, um, on all sides. And, and as I said, I think the, the problem is that it's top down, right? Because at the end of the day, my husband's expected to work all the time. The government doesn't provide Medicare for all or any sort of universal health care. So of course we work to keep insurance. Um, and then if we don't work, we don't have insurance for ourselves or our child who considering the group, the degree to which she gets sick from school is necessary. And obviously it's a pandemic too. So in case of an emergency like that, she would need hospitalization or care. Um, you know, and at the top, we're basically the, the best way to put it is we're being told to smile, sweetie. You know, it's like the cat caller that sees you going through God knows what, and saying to yelling out to you to smile, you know, as if it's your obligation to put on a happy face and be okay with whatever's going on with you in that moment, um, for his enjoyment. Right. And the government is doing that to us <laughs> because there's a unmitigated lack of just a complete lack of control of this virus. I watched a an episode, I think it was on Al Jazeera. If I find it, I'll try to post it in the show notes. But there was an interview with Eric Topol, who's an epidemiologist, I believe, and or some he's a science researcher of some sort. And um, he was just so angry. You know, he was angry about what's what's going on in the U.S. with regard to the pandemic. We're looking at, um, you know, just a complete free for all. Um, there's poor regulation of vaccines. So many people are refusing to get vaccinated. There is like the, the fact that they're just 
insisting on mass mandates at like a county by county or city by city level in this country is freaking nuts. Um, there are, you know, he's like, he was like, we have the vaccines and we don't want to donate anything to the developing world. And that's why we're seeing a worsening of this pandemic around the, around the world. Um, but this country, he was like, one of the things that I thought was most impactful about what he said was, you know, we are contributing the most when it comes to the number of diseases or infected people, right? Like we literally have like one of the highest, if not the highest infection rate um, for a developing country in the world. And then on top of that, it's like the highest infection rate perhaps in the entire world. Um, and there's, it's just an unmitigated disaster. Like there's no real recognition by the government of what's going on um, and how to fix it. And it's just kind of like get vaccinated and good luck, you know, except that people aren't getting vaccinated. <laughs> so like the hospitals are once again overrun, declaring disaster. Um, you know, everything is bad. And like what I'm saying, the reason I'm saying all of this and the reason that I always come back to COVID in these episodes is the fact that that adds to our stress, right? It adds to our degree of just helplessness in many ways in this. I'm flailing. You know what I mean? Like, as I said, I feel like I'm being buried. I always compare it to being like buried alive or drowning because you recognize what's happening. You see what's happening and you feel yourself being, being like killed by these circumstances, being crushed by these circumstances, being turned into a person that you're not you know, being robbed of the person that you are because you have so much work to do that you no longer exist as the person you once were. And that is incredibly terrifying because if that happens, you know, who are you in the process of trying to support your child? You are no longer yourself. You are a shell of yourself. You are some, some figment of the former self fragment, I should say, sorry, fragment, all the figment of your imagination as well, right? It's as if you're no longer real. Um, something happens to you. And the fact that, the, like, we have no support network. We have no support. And we have no one to turn to when we need help. There's no one to help. People are quitting their jobs in droves, which I completely understand, Nurses and doctors are being forced to work while infected with literal COVID, which puts a, puts patients at risk, puts themselves at risk, puts takes their their needs completely out of consideration. Right, um, is abusive on a workplace level. This I'm, I'm responding, of course, to recent CDC, um, this recent CDC announcement as of like overnight, basically that. Uh, healthcare workers infected with COVID should keep working. Basically they should come right back to work. Um, even if they're still infected, I just, you know, I, I don't, I don't understand how we got to this point. Um, I mean, I guess I do, but I, it doesn't make it any easier. Right. And that kind of anger that I feel, that's the only way to put it. It's a kind of anger at, at feeling neglected on all sides feeling abandoned all on all sides, um, feeling like we are not recognized as human beings right now. We're just expected to keep going despite, to smile, sweetie, you know, 
And what's unfortunate is that the the sort of as I call it like the mommy industrial complex, right? These these this industry of mommy vlogging and blogging and uh, podcasting and you know YouTube's and all of this stuff and brands and whatnot. It pushes on us on top of the like nonsense of our government on the com- on the commercial and sort of social media end of these things. We are pushed. Or, or, or the idea is pushed on us of this toxic positivity, positivity to the point where you just want to slap the person on the screen, right? Um, there is a, a a degree of just saccharine, overly happy, overly satisfied, incredibly balanced, and with perfect skin and perfect bodies and perfect meals and perfectly clean households. This kind of image that's put out on social media is damaging when you're someone who's drowning, you know, like you're drowning and then you're looking at someone on a cruise ship waving. And that's, that's why, you know, these, these sorts of, I'm always very critical of mom social media or family social media because it, it it creates this image of perfection that's unattainable because what you don't see in the background is the maid cleaning up after these people or the nanny taking care of the kids when they're filming or the, you know, the family member that's coming over to help frequently or, um, you know, the school and school activities that they're in around the clock that take the burden off of the mother or father or both. Uh, (laughs) You know, you don't see that. You don't see the immense income that's backing up these leisure activities that the mother is allowed to engage in, these vacations that they take and the clothing that they wear and the perfectly coiffed children, it is unattainable and unrealistic. And there's a lot of stuff going on in the background that we don't know. And yet we're, this is like foisted upon us as what we're supposed to be, these sorts of expectations. And I think, you know, there was a lot of, uh, about the impact of social media on girls and young women, right? But in, in recent months, you know, over these trials and things like that. But there wasn't a discussion, and I think it would have been an interesting one, about the impact of social media on parents and especially moms and how that creates a sort of a highly unrealistic image of what we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to function. We do the best that we can, right? Um, but at the end of the day, I'm never going to be fill in the blank mommy YouTuber, uh, at least the perfect ones. There are a few who are like imperfect that I really like actually. But the ones that are perfect or trying to be perfect or seemingly project themselves as perfect, you know, these are basically the mom equivalent of like the Instagram model, like the Instagram baddie that's had technically a lot of surgery, but that says that she just drinks a lot of water and goes to sleep early, right? And that's what keeps her looking young and fit and that she doesn't work out. She just does a little yoga here and there, right? That's the, we're looking, we're talking about the mom equivalent of that, you know? And so anyway, I raised all of this because I was watching, I watched this, like, I think I mentioned before, I like to watch videos of, of people cleaning because it is, um, inspiring for me because I don't have time to clean usually. <laughs> so I, I just, I, I'm trying to 
to reconcile with the fact that like when I don't have time to clean, I can watch a five minute video of someone like they usually speed it up too. So it makes it really satisfying because you see the beginning, middle and end of all of this in like five minutes. And it's really fun to watch. But there's one woman that I watch who's, um, she is an Orthodox Jewish woman. Um, she's a convert actually. And, uh, she does a lot of videos where she's like cleaning and most of the time she's cleaning specifically for like Jewish holidays and stuff. But so because she's Orthodox, like everything has to be kosher and whatever. It's like this whole process that I look at and gives me, that would like make me break out in hives of panic if I had to do that degree of cleaning all the time. But, um, (laughs) she, she, um, she just is very positive. And in a way that's very fake. And I say that it's fake because she has these outtakes where she shows, you know, at the end, it's supposed to be humorous, right? Where you you show like the blooper reel, but it's not because you see the anger in her face. You see the exhaustion in her face. You see the frustration in her face. And you realize that everything you've been watching before this little 30 second reel is fake, right? It's unrealistic. She's doing the smile sweetie routine when she technically wants to scream and you can see it (laughs) in her face. (laughs) And I kind of, you know, sometimes I'm like, I want you to do that blooper reel video, but as the video, right? Like I want you to do the real you. It's just like a, like a, like peeling away the layer. And I would be interested in that mom, you know, but instead I get this overly sweet, happy and smiley and everything's perfect and everything's awesome and everything's okay all the time from her. And it's, it's just very interesting. I think if she didn't do the outtakes, it would almost be, um, like headache inducing, right? Cause she'd be like, why are you so happy? Like there's something wrong with you. You know, you have three kids and you do all this work from home and you're happy still. Like it, there's something wrong. Um, And that's not to say, by the way, that you can't be happy as a housewife or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is it's it's clear that this woman is incredibly burdened (laughs) by the work she has to do. And yet she has to just kind of grin and bear it and never show, at least in her videos, that she's an imperfect person, that she's a person, right? She's a human being. Um, And yeah, I I really want to also do a... um, a couple of discussions about racism and race in these mommy vlogs, because it's definitely bad in particular, um, in interracial family vlogs, like, or vlogs, I should say, or like TikToks and things like that. There's a degree of racism in these videos that just is off the charts, but it's very insidious because it's done in a way, again, through a kind of toxically positive lens. Um, and I, I, you know, I'm not going to get into it here. I'll do a separate episode on those, but there's a lot to say about that as well. That kind of ties into this facade of perfection. And some of that perfection is breaking down into like a sort of eugenics, like, um, scary race science that, that I should talk about, uh, in a separate, separate episode. But yeah, um, you know, I just, we're at the 30, 31 minute mark, but I, I just wanted to kind of try to verbalize, I guess, the anger that I feel because I know that so many other moms and parents in general feel that. 
um, they don't have the words to explain or fully articulate what it means to lose yourself, to lose your career, to lose your livelihood, to lose your sense of self because you're trying to parent in a pandemic and trying to protect your family. It is, I mean, it's an incredibly, incredibly weighty burden that few others can understand unless they're also going through it. Um, you know, I think if I didn't care, if I just was like, whatever, let's get COVID, who gives a shit, you know, it would be different. I would just be living my life. And I see this. This is another thing I'm like about the the vlogs and like the mom social media and stuff that's equally as frustrating because you're looking at, you know, people talk about, oh, we're going to go out to eat. We're going to go do this. We're going to do that. We're going to go to Disney World. We're going to go blah, blah, blah. We're going to go have all these these activities and things that we do outside of the home in indoor spaces where I know I can get COVID, but it's fine. Um, and then next week you see them asking about where to test their kids for COVID and then they're sending their kids to school and it's just like the cycle continues. You know, you're seeing all sides of this, this process that, that kind of just adds to your anger, right? Because every, every second of other people's negligence to me adds another hour of quarantine for us or another day or another month or another fucking year of this nonsense. Um, I see it, you know, this in conjunction with government failures makes you feel like you're just going to be in this situation forever. And, you know, as someone who's kind of preparing herself to homeschool um, at the rate things are going with these school closures, and again, I understand the school closures. I think they're important and valuable and help keep our children safe. But at the end of the day, it is an unpredictable burden because at this rate, especially with Omicron, everyone's going to be getting infected all the time. Every, every day there's going to be an infected kid at school. And so the school's always going to be shut down basically. Um, so that's why I said, you know, I'm preparing to homeschool. I'm turning one of our, like we have, so technically we have three bedrooms. Um, one like, well, we have four, but one is being used as like our attic cause we don't have an attic or, and our basement is not a finished basement. So, our fourth, it's like a very small bedroom is sort of like our attic. Um, we use it as storage. And then we have the bedroom, like the main bedroom, the second floor bedroom, and then my daughter's room. And I say all of this again, like when I'm talking about floors, guys, it's not a big house. It's a, it's a row house in Baltimore. So these are, you know, stacked on top of one another. Think about that. If it's a, a house, it's like not very big, but it has um, multiple floors because it's narrow. Um, so anyway, the, the point I'm trying to make here is <laughs> that I'm going to get to is that this, one of the bedrooms where I do podcasting and most of my work, actually, like I don't really sleep. I don't use a real bedroom. Like my bed is my desk because as I've mentioned before, after having my daughter sometimes sitting for long periods of time, like gives me incredible pain, like lower back pain and, and stuff like that. Um, but anyway, <laughs> sorry, I, I'm thinking about turning this, this bedroom where I like take my naps and do my podcasting and stuff into a playroom and an area for our daughter to basically have school because I think that we're going to be in a position where we're going to have to homeschool or I, not we, it's not going to be a we, it's going to be an I have to homeschool her, um, 
and she'll need the space to, you know, play, but also do her lessons and, and kind of her practical life stuff and whatnot. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's going to have to take place at home. And so she should have a dedicated space to that because she's also at this age now where like, she's going to start transitioning to using a big, a quote unquote, big girl bed or like a toddler bed. And in that instance, you have to have everything baby proofed in a way that you wouldn't believe because, if they get up overnight and play in their room, you don't want them to hurt themselves. So you want to take out, you want the room to just basically be like a bed and uh, that's it. <laughs> so her bedroom is going to literally be a bedroom, a room for her bed and for her to sleep. And that's it. Cause right now it kind of doubles as like an area for her to play too. She's got some, some toys in there and like um, books and things like that. And I just want to take it all out. Um, and put it, put things into the play, like what will become a playroom slash schoolroom slash, you know, classroom or whatever. But anyway, that's another task, another task that I'm going to have to take on. And it's going to mean, you know, gut cleaning everything and painting and all of this stuff. We still haven't gotten around to painting. There's so many things left to do in this house um, that we just haven't had the time to do. We, we just have not been capable of finishing. Um, so yeah, but I think the best way to, as I said, to put the way I'm feeling, even though this word is clearly not enough is anger. Um, anger at feeling left behind anger at feeling abandoned and neglected anger at feeling forced to work to this degree, anger at feeling like my opportunities not feeling like, but literally recognizing opportunities slip through my fingers. Um, things that I'm not able to take on or do that would help advance my career because of the degree of childcare and domestic work that I'm having to engage in. Um, you know, the list goes on and on. And I know that other people out there are angry too. And just know that even if others don't recognize what's happening to you, I empathize with you because I'm going through it as well. And I think that, I guess I wish that there were more support groups or some sort of, some semblance of support from somewhere um, for moms and parents going through this and feeling like they're alone and that they don't have any support because yeah, we don't <laughs> just being honest. But I think at least if we could find a way to support one another, that's why I said, I wish we had a mom's union or something. I would definitely go to those meetings or at least, you know, virtually attend those meetings if I could, uh, because we really need some sort of, yeah, we need, we need some place to vent. We need some place to have our needs understood and recognized. And we need a place where we can advocate for those needs to be met uh, on a social or a societal, I should say, and governmental level. But until that time comes, it's just like we're all in these individual silos of frustration, anger, exhaustion, um, regret in some cases, uh, depression in some cases, you know. And there's not really a solution anytime soon in sight. Uh, and I can't, I'm not going to close this with, Again, the kind of toxic positivity that is expected of me where everything's supposed to be fine. It's not fine. It's not going to be fine anytime soon. Um, and I just hope that for those of you who are struggling like me, that you find a productive way 
to channel your frustration and your anger. I channel it through things like this, but some people are channeling it through things like substance abuse, um, self-harm, and other um, other areas that, that might not be the most psychologically or physically safe. And for those of you who are doing that, if you do have someone you can talk to, please do so. If you have a, a way to get counseling or some sort of, sort of support, do that. But I also recognize that counseling and psychiatric support is expensive and incredibly inaccessible. So if you have a family member, if you have a friend, if you have a fellow mom that you need to vent to, do it. Find that person. Um, your partner even, depending on your the type of relationship you're in. Find that person who can help you with this, that you can talk to. Because you can't keep it all inside to the point that it's harming you. Um, you have to let it out somewhere. And, um, you know, I know a lot of people are learning that slowly but surely, but are not always the best at it. And we have to become better about being transparent and open and honest about what we're going through as mothers, as parents, um, and really find ways to, to cope that don't involve harm to ourselves uh, beyond the harm that's already being caused to us, right? Um, so on that note, I'm going to end. Thank you so much for listening as per usual. Um, you can find us on social media by searching for Left POC, and you can donate a dollar or more per month by going to patreon.com slash leftpoc. Um, and just know that I really, really, really appreciate those of you who do support the podcast by monetary or other means. We really appreciate the work that you do to help us do our work. Um, and uh, just know that you're valued and, and appreciated for, for helping us out as well. So that's it. Thanks, everyone. Please take care of yourselves. Be safe and have a good one.